0: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live.
1: This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you're listening to the Sunday Twilight Show with Maud. It is 5 pm on Sunday, the 22nd of January, 2023. You can join me using the chat function, we can discuss today's topic, which is teaching French in 2023 welcome this
0: is teachers talk radio and you are listening live tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation download the podbean app and search teachers talk radio follow the hashtag tt radio tune in talk it out with teachers talk radio
1: Good late afternoon fellow educators and good evening dear listeners. This is my 28th radio show as your hostess and I'm delighted to share this experience in your company. But first I have to introduce myself for any potential new listener. I am Maud, a French citizen of French and West African ancestry. I have lived in the UK since 2008 and i am a professional educator working in a secondary state school in north london where i do teach languages as well as humanities history and geography ks3 i have also experience as a teacher in the charity sector you can follow me on twitter at prof all views are my own so Today, I wanted to focus on a new topic that is relevant to me as an educator and personally in my daily life. And the topic of the day is teaching French in 2023. What does it mean and what does it entail? So this topic is mostly relevant to language teachers, parents who have children who are about to choose a language they're gonna learn in secondary schools, parents who have children who are studying French at school or maybe some who are going to have their GCSE exam at the end of the year, for any potential Francophiles or anyone who has learned French when they were at school or who would like to learn French, and finally for the curious and savvy. Again, you can interact with me live. I will check my Twitter account, so at prof MFL, or you can also use the chat function on the teacher's talk radio. First, this is a very personal podcast because obviously I am a French teacher living in the UK. I teach French every weekday in a state school in North London. I also teach French every Saturday in a charity Saturday morning French school for native speakers. And I also teach French privately online when whenever someone needs some help with their French. So to that professional aspect, I have to add the fact that I am a French citizen, born and bred, and I spent um, the first 23 years of my life in France. So I consider myself an expert in all matters of French and teaching French. So, obviously, this is something that I really care about, teaching French, and I just wanted to share with you some thoughts on why we inflict that subject on our dear, dear children. So, what is learning a language first? Learning a language is acquiring a new skill, and this skill is particular. It is about the ability to speak, write, read, converse, in more than one language. If you are born in an English-speaking country, it means that you will have the potential and the ability to speak, write, read and converse in another language. And today's topic is French, so it will be speaking, writing, reading, conversing in French. So, having more than one language is a fact of life. There's millions of people who do speak French worldwide. Just to give you some figures, at the latest census, we counted that there were 270 million people, I repeat, 270 million people worldwide who do speak French. So, they might speak French in very different ways. There might be very proficient at speaking and conversing in French. Some might struggle to read and write in French, but these 270 million people can have a conversation with you in French. And this is all over the world. There are French speakers in most of the developed world. There are French speakers in Africa, in Asia. I'm thinking of Vietnam, for instance. There are French speakers in America, in Latin America, there are French speakers probably everywhere. And a lot of people do speak French because they learnt it at school. And this is what I'm gonna focus on today, learning French at school, not with your parents, not in France or in a French-speaking country, but learning it in a school environment. I am obviously working in England. This is a country that has only one official language, Some countries have more than one official language. I'm going to quote Algeria, Morocco and Canada, where there is more than one official language, French being one of these official languages. But in many other countries, such as France, Russia and Germany, there's only one official language. There is definitely a correlation between how centralized and political um, a country is and the number of official languages in its administration. France is very centralized, its main official language is obviously French, and England is centralized as well, and its official language is English, although the United Kingdom recognizes now other languages, such as Welsh and Gaelic and Irish Gaelic. Now. According to the British Council, which is a very famous institution promoting culture and learning worldwide, there is a language deficit in the United Kingdom. What does that mean? Well, it means that there has been an all party parliamentary group, APPG, which focused on modern languages. The LPPG parliamentary group was headed by Professor Mike Kelly a languages advocate, expert and advisor. And he noticed that because in England, the official language is a majority English and less and less people really converse in more than one language, this is costing the UK a lot of money. A lack of language skills has been evaluated as costing the UK 3.5% of the GDP, the annual GDP. So, I'm quoting Professor Mike Kelly there. Our language blind spot costs us a lot of lost business, and it will need a multi pronged approach to turn this around. The APPG report sets strategic objectives to achieve this in the areas of education, business, and public policy. So, what's going on in the UK? Well, apparently, less people are learning languages at school and French is not a favoured language to learn anymore. Spanish and French are still dominating in schools, but the British Council has noticed that they are losing ground. The report says languages need to be strengthened in colleges and universities, protecting language departments' is paramount because as more than 50 universities in the UK have cut down on language courses or even scrapped departments of languages entirely since 2000. So for the last 22 years, we have seen a degradation in the situation with the language deficit increasing in the UK. Obviously, because I'm a linguist and I'm a teacher of languages, this worries me a lot. An online YouGov poll has been created. They asked 4,000 UK adults commissioned by the British Council. They asked people if they were able to speak, converse, read, and write in another language other than English. 75% of these 4,000 people said they were unable to speak another language Unable to speak it enough to have a basic conversation. Of these people, French was the only language spoken by 50, 15% of them. German came after with 6%, Spanish 4%, and Italian 2%. So what we see is that even though most people in the UK have had some potential training at school in languages, 7% of them feel that they are not able to have a basic conversation in the language they learnt at school. So this pinpoints two aspects of the problem. First, people might not have had enough language teaching at school to equip them with being able to speak a basic conversation. But also, maybe, people have not learnt it properly enough to be confident in having a basic conversation. A lot of small to medium enterprises need to have a better reach to sell their products. They need an international reach. Sadly, because not enough people speak more than English in the UK, this affects business. The British Chambers of Commerce showed that 96% 96 of exporters had no foreign language ability for the markets they served. So if you want to sell baked beans and Marmite to France, it would be better if you had some members of staff who could speak basic French. So the language deficit is hitting hard for small and medium enterprises who might not be able to afford a translator. It is a serious matter because it affects money, finances, and the GDP. We should do more to, pr- to promote language learning. Some other countries are trying really hard to promote learning languages. So, why is it declining in the UK? What can we do about it? Well, this is what I'm trying to do every day when I go to school. Now, what do I face when I go to school? Well, I have. I'm teaching in a school where language is compulsory. So the students don't have a choice. They are going to do a language from year seven when they come at 11 years old, and they will drop it if they want to after studying it for five years once they've done their GCSEs age 15 or 16. So in year seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, my students are learning a language. Because we do not have a very big budget for languages, we only have two choices of languages. There's a Spanish teacher and a French teacher. Now, the issue I face mostly in my daily practice is that a lot of students would rather learn Spanish than French. So that's the first thing. Spanish is becoming more popular. There might be many reasons for that, and we might eventually mention them later. But on a national level, there is another trend that worries me. it is that less than 10% of Year 11 students in the UK are studying French and achieve a B1 level. You're going to tell me, what's a B1 level? Well, a B1 level is described as a level that allows you to have a basic conversation and read or a little in French. This is a level that is used by the European Frame of Reference for Languages. Short for, I mean, CEFR is the acronym. European Frame of Reference for Languages. So this 10% of UK students aged in year 11 who are able to have basic French, they are the lowest proportion of any other European country. So we're not doing well in teaching French and we're not doing. doing well at learning it if only 10% of Year 11 students can have a basic conversation. Figures from the Department for Education show that languages are badly affected in recruitment, which means there's not enough teachers and there's not enough French teachers.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News
3: The Christian Institute website carries a story on the reminder by Minister of Schools Nick Gibb that schools in England have a duty to remain politically impartial in their teaching and extracurricular activities the guidance was published last year But Mr. Gibb was responding to MP Miriam Cates references to a YouGov poll which appears to reveal that the majority of UK children are being taught political ideology as fact, and he issued the reminder. Ms. Cates was referencing a view that children are being taught that they can be born in the wrong body, as well as resources being used in schools which focus on the topic of gender identity. The DfE guidance comes as Scotland attempts to introduce new legislation on gender recognition, which is opposed by Westminster. The guidance states that schools should not under any circumstances work with or use materials produced by external agencies that take extreme political positions. The Varsity website reports on findings by a right wing think tank that elite universities were more likely to use progressive terminology on their websites. Cambridge tops the table in the Radical Progressive University Guide, although the think tank Civitas does not appear to see this as a positive. Varsity highlights comments reported in the Daily Mail, which warned that half of our universities peddle their woke agenda to students. The think tank generated the findings after exploring university websites and news reports, looking for a series of key phrases including trigger warning, white privilege and anti-racism. Those with high incidences of key phrases were at the top of the table. Varsity acknowledges a view that Cambridge's political culture is to the left of the national one, but also highlights key figures in academia who feature prominently in the conservative press. It's hard to stay away from politics as announcements of strikes continued late last week. The TES reports on the continued deadlock in Scotland, Whilst the Evening Standard covers talks between ministers and unions in England after the NEU confirmed strike dates for the coming weeks and months. These strikes are set to impact schools in England and Wales, although the BBC further reports on talks in Wales. Its news website reports that teachers and school leaders have been offered a one off payment by the Welsh Government, similar to that offered to health workers, although unions have already said that the offer is not enough. Scottish media outlets have also carried a story about what it describes as fears about violence in schools. A clip, now widely shared on social media, shows an altercation between two students and that took place on the same day a male pupil was left unconscious following an assault. Whilst Police Scotland have said it's investigating both incidents, it has sparked debate on the state of behaviour in schools, particularly as such incidents have featured in headlines before. The Scottish Government has previously stated they're investing an additional £15 million this year to enhance capacity to effectively meet the needs of young people, and that they were very clear that violence is unacceptable. In further political news, the petition put forward by three men known as the Three Dads Walking will go to Parliament. The men, who all lost daughters to suicide, want to get suicide prevention on the school curriculum. The petition they set up now has more than 155,000 signatures, which means that it will be discussed in Parliament, after previously failing to be heard. Finally, more than 20,000 defibrillators will be sent to almost 18,000 state funded schools by the end of the academic year. It comes after the government committed to ensuring there was a device in every school last year. The rollout comes after campaigning from the Oliver King Foundation and its founder, Mark King, whose son died at 12 from a cardiac arrest while swimming at school. Guidance to support schools has been created, including awareness videos. And education secretary, Gillian Keegan, praised the work of the Oliver King Foundation and described the rollout as a huge milestone. Mr King stated, defibrillators save lives. And that he hope that families do not have to suffer the heartbreak of unnecessarily losing a child this is for our ollie this has been your teachers talk radio news with joe fox
0: this is two minute tech with steve woods your tech briefing on teachers talk radio
4: hello a while ago i asked you what is your go-to piece of tech this week, I had the pleasure of talking to Ian Kenyon, CEO of Wirral Respite and Alternative Provision, also known as RAP for short. So, Ian, what is your go-to piece of tech in your setting?
5: Thanks, Steve. In our organisation, we are absolutely embedded in sharing our information and our data via the cloud. And there's loads of software out there to do it. And there's a lot of bespoke software for our type of organisation, student information management services, uh, the likes of SIMS or ARBA or or things like that. But unfortunately, they're all built around big organisations, big schools, uh, schools with up to 1,200 students. Certainly not for schools that have a turnaround of students uh, who are completing courses in 12 weeks, and those students who are potentially returning but require new files. We've tried proprietary software, it's very, very expensive. But actually, what we've... Fallen back to is what Google provides uh, using G Suite, which is now Google Workplace. We have access to spreadsheets, to um, form filling uh, software for for data collection, uh, Google Docs, which is you're very familiar with everything via traditional Microsoft offices. Being able to link docs uh, and sheets and forms together has been almost transformational for our organisation. It's not the cheapest, uh, I will say the per user price matches uh, what other software like Zoho or or Microsoft will do um, but offers a simpler version for us um, and offers us some interactivity that we've never had before it handles our email it handles our our student information so gathering attendance it handles our finance uh, so invoicing Um, the, the the way that the suite works the way that the package works just works really well for us but with very little additional investment in time effort and training Um, Google offers us everything that we need. The final sort of element that that has been transformational for us is then being able to use proprietary hardware such as Chromebooks or even Android phones. And the ability for us to then transfer our data and and to to be live in the cloud at all times has been uh, a really good thing for our organization. So there you have it. My number one go to it's definitely got to be Google Workplace.
4: Thank you, Ian. As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Do you have a go-to piece of tech? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was 2 Minute Tech. 2 Minute with Steve
0: Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
1: Welcome back, dear listeners. So I was talking earlier about uh, the language deficit in the UK and the fact that French has lost 62% of entries at GCSE in the last 20 years. So a massive drop, a massive drop of interest, and it is no longer a language that students seem to want to learn. It is seen as elitist and difficult to grasp, um, marked rather harshly at exams, and something that is not particularly useful business-wise for many students who live in the UK. Now, I want to fight against this um, language deficit, and this is what I do in my daily practice. How do I do this? Well the way to improve motivation to learn languages is simple we need to show the positive side of speaking another language and the positive side is by taking the children out of the classroom school trips are essential i would even argue that there is no point learning a language unless there's a trip to the language to the country that this language where this language is spoken organised I have been trying to organise school trips for my students because I think it is the only way to promote language speaking. If you are too far or if it's too expensive, you can also organise a restaurant trip. A trip to a French restaurant to sample some delicacies and some interesting, weird specialties is Essential, and if you can't take your students out of the classroom, you can bring the food to them. You can do food tasting, and as I tweeted today, I b- just baked a galette des rois, and I'm hoping to make some of my students try it. It's really important to important to bring the flavors. A language is a culture, is a food, and this is very often the way people get into interested in French language. It's because of French food. So to improve motivation, we have also to make learning a second language a compulsory affair. And I'm addressing universities here. Cambridge, the excellence of education for university, has dropped a language requirement in 2008. They did not help our cause. The language deficit cost 2.5 of the GDP a year, we need to fight back, we need to promote languages. The irony is that one of the Cambridge colleges, the first ones was created by a French lady who had married an English aristocrat. So can we please promote French teaching at Cambridge universities by making it compulsory? This is the only way students will realize that a language is important. In Austria, in the 1970s, A Latin exam was a requirement on entry at university. I mean, I did Latin, I'm not sure it would be essential to bring it back as a requirement, but a language definitely. And I'm not preaching for my parish, it doesn't have to be French, it could be Spanish or Mandarin or um, Russian or Ukrainian or any other languages. Can we please bring one language extra as a compulsory requirement to go to university? for the top universities if you wish or for all the universities but this is the only way we can stop the language deficit from increasing now how to improve language retention and language learning inside the classroom well we need to teach in the target language in luxembourg which is a tiny tiny country in europe uh, continental europe they learn history in Spanish, or French in maths, or maths in French I should say, or any other languages. So the language is not the object of study, it is the vehicle to study another subject. And this would work. You can teach French while teaching history, as well as you can teach history while teaching French. This is actually another way of making language learning popular. I always try in my lessons to bring some historical knowledge. The children love history because the children love a story. And if you present history as a story, they will be mesmerized. When I tell them about the French Revolution, when I tell them about Um, when we sold Louisiana territory to the American government. When I tell my students about um, the Second World War, about the Commune in Paris, their eyes are just focused and they're listening. They pay attention. They love a story. Why not use more content, historical content, cultural knowledge in the French lessons? Also. In, it is maybe impopular, but in some Irish schools in Dublin, um, there are private schools that are only teaching Irish. Um, the language English is banned. So the students are not allowed to speak in English. They have to speak in Irish. So I'm thinking, why don't we try a ban of the superior, the imperial language English when we're learning the language? in the lesson. And I know it sounds controversial, but we should also go against that predominance of English, because it has too much power at the moment. And if we focus on target language, we might reverse this situation. Languages have not been compulsory in England beyond the age of 14 since 2004, and we see that it's created a language deficit. It's time to fight back now i'm not saying that just because i want to justify my pay i do think it's important to learn more than one language as nelson mandela said if you talk to a man in the language he understands that goes to his head but if you talk to him in his own language that goes to his heart after the brexit referendum in 2016 this created a chasm England is quite a divided country now, not as much as America, but it is very divided. If we promote language learning, we will promote the European ideal of building bridges. This stems from Victor Hugo's vision of the United States of Europe. We need to go against xenophobia, we need to go against um, separatism. And at the moment, we are in a very dangerous situation if you stick to a very insular vision of the world we are not going to give the best education to our children so i have made a list of all the negatives of of learning to speak a language not just french because i want to acknowledge the difficulties i know it costs a lot of money if you have a french department you're going to need french teachers you're going to need to buy resources either books or print resources from the internet. You're gonna have to organize, uh, maybe having a French assistant or visit the country, and you're gonna have to buy maybe food or um, material that is written in French. So I understand there's a financial cost. Now, I understand that learning a language is time consuming because it's not just a lesson. Your students and your children have to spend five minutes a day, two hours per week minimum, practicing that language. There's tons of applications and a lot of resources online, but it still has to be timetabled and the children have to make the effort of doing it daily. So there's a time cost. Then there's also sometimes the risk of confusing children for those who are struggling academically. If you're struggling with English, you're gonna struggle with French, for sure. And also, you might have students with special educational needs for whom learning another language adds another layer of difficulty. I am aware of this. But we also need to have targets that match the child's ability. And if a child can only learn a few words, that's fine, as long as it's done in a positive, and reinforcing way. Organization, I understand that timetabling lessons for language take time. And also you might need to have a club for watching the movies in the language, in French. You might need to timetable listening to the radio as well. It takes time. There's also that pressure to um, succeed at exams. And this is another negative of learning a language the exam goes in the way, and the love of the language can be forgotten. There's also a confidence issue, and I understand it. Some students are not natural speakers, and they are quite shy, and they don't like public speaking. And part of learning a language is to express yourself in that language. So all these facts I take into account when I teach French. I understand that it costs a lot of money, It's time consuming. It can be difficult and confusing for children who are struggling academically. It needs organizing. It puts pressure on timetable and management. And it's also difficult for children who lack confidence in public speaking. Yet, it's not because something is difficult that it's bad. French is a difficult language to learn, but it brings a lot of positives as long as you take into account the constraints you can make in work by being creative. And this is what I try to do every day in my practice. So, there is a substantial body of research evidence stretching back over the last three decades that indicates that TV and films subtitled in the same language can not only transform programs in a foreign language into accessible and enjoyable material for learners, but they can also be of great value in language learning, both in and out the classroom. So this is wonderful. The internet is the the language teacher's best friend. When I studied English in the 90s, I had to buy DVDs if I wanted to watch a movie in English and the DVDs were really expensive. I remember being asked by a teacher to purchase the BBC drama Pride and Prejudice with Colin Firth, the whole TV series. I had to go to a specialist shop, a bookshop in Paris, and it cost 30 euros. It was a lot of money for a student. Nowadays, any student who has a phone with an internet connection or wifi can watch French resources and authentic resources online for free or next to nothing. We can't let that resource go to waste. We have to make use of it. So this is rare, but I'm going to advise any parent, any teacher, any SLT to just plonk their children or students in front of cartoons in French with French subtitles because it's good for them. And you won't, you won't hear me say that about watching TV usually. But if you want to promote language learning, if you want your students to learn French, you need to plonk them in front of the TV, watching lots of French cartoons, as long as it's French audio and French subtitles. So what happens currently in any local school next to you in the French department? Well, across the uk a great proportion of students achieved good passes in french in 2022 compared to all other gcse subjects now i'm, I'm the first one surprised there because usually french exams are marked very harshly it might stem from the that as i said earlier french is seen as a middle class endeavor and it's quite elitist and you can see it in the way it's marked However, because of COVID, the marking has been toned down a little and it showed because a total of 78.8% of pupils achieved grades C or 4 or higher in their French exam compared to 73.2% for all subjects. So since 2022 and the difference in marking, we did better in results and I'm going to say that to my students to encourage them. French is seen as an unpopular subject. We've established that. And this is still the reason why it has a bad reputation. GCSE French, they had 129,419 students sitting the exam in 2022. It's down 2% from 2021, and it's a 16% decrease over the last 10 years, and a massive fall of 62% since 2022. So for 20 years, French has become an unpopular subject. Now, let's look at data. If you check the website ffteducationdatalab.org.uk, you will see that GCSE entries in French from 2016 to 2022 have dropped, but they have also remained quite stagnant, which is better than keeping the drop. So it's still a massive predominance of female who take the GCSE French. A lot of girls enjoy languages comparatively to males. There was 75,000 girls who took French for GCSE against a little bit more than 50,000 for boys. Now, if we look at the all students, UK-wide, their selected grades, in uh, French, you have very few got more than 7 in their grades, it's just about 25%, which is not amazing, and I'm just thinking that this stems from the difficulty of the exam, perhaps. Now, grades, because of COVID, were awarded following different processes. We had to change the way we graded the students because obviously lockdown has had an impact on learning. So most of the exams were cancelled in 2020 and 2021. And in 2022, we adjusted the marking. We made it less severely graded to bring it back in line with Spanish. And this might explain why students prefer Spanish. It's because the grades were marked less harshly in Spanish before. Now, how do we grade your children when they are doing their GCSE in French, for instance? Well, we have four parts for the exam. We have four skills that we are evaluating. We have listening, writing, reading and speaking and these four skills are marked equally with 25 percent of the total mark each the lowest grade is one and the best grade is a nine the mark scheme is subjective it's a subjective assessment of what your child can do why am i saying it's subjective because it's suddenly with the listening and the reading that we have um Easy to mark papers. We usually have multiple questions and the marking is done in a very controlled way. However, with the speaking and the writing exam, then we get an issue of subjective marking. Just imagine you are an examiner and you have 200 copies to mark. If the children have a very hard to decipher handwriting, this might affect the way you value their their writing. Even though you try and stay objective, you're tired, you've marked a lot of papers, you can barely understand the handwriting of the child, this is going to affect their grades. Now, there's also an internal bias that is not always acknowledged and this happens with the speaking exam. The speaking exam, it's an examiner receives Tapes, audio files of the students, and they have to mark the speaking. Sadly, we have noticed as teachers that children who have a minority accent, for instance, it could be a Canadian accent or a West African accent while they speak French, these students have been sometimes mocked negatively compared to their peers. So, In the problem, there's a big problem with the exams and the way they're marked for GCSE in French is that the speaking and the writing are subjective in their markings. And this is something to do with, honestly, the way the exams are made. If you want to read more about the differences between each um, exam provider, I will advise you to check a great blog it's Senor Cordero, so Senor, S-E-N-O-R, and Cordero, C-O-R-D-E-R-O. He's got a great blog on WordPress. So Senor Cordero on WordPress. He's comparing the two exam providers. So in the UK, we have two exam providers. We have one which is a charity, AQA, and we have another one which is a business. So um, AQA is a not-for-profit and Pearson Edexcel is a business. Pearson is an American company. AQA and Edexcel are providing exams. Now they're pretty similar. It's again, these four skills, listening, speaking, writing, and reading. The marking is pretty much the same. The only differences are in sometimes the marking scheme, one has more multiple choices than the other. I have to insist on the fact that multiple choice marking is more objective because there's no doubt for the examiner, it's easier to apply. So I would definitely advise for either a system where you have two examiners marking the same paper, and then the both grades are are taken into account, and then we do an average. I think that's a system that is more objective. All multiple choice questions are definitely more objective than some of the the way we mark, despite having a marking scheme. Um, I'm not going to go too much into details because I could spend two hours just describing exactly what the exams are about. But what I want to insist on the fact is that we don't have enough time to follow the new exams we just got before christmas holidays new gcse exam advice from the department for education and they recommended that we have a new skill to assess and this is the dictation what is a dictation well for instance you would listen to an audio file. there would be someone reading four or five sentences in french and the students would have to write these sentences down. And then they would be marked. The writing, the grammar, the spelling would be marked. This is a new addition. No one had has done that before in the last 15 years for their GCSEs. And we were told this in autumn term and the students have to be ready for spring, late spring term, summer term. The problem is This is not yet officially approved, so we might start preparing the children for it, yet it might not even happen in the exam. So there is definitely a strange aspect in the system of exams in the UK where teachers are told to do something that is not yet completely officialized and then we have to implement it without any guidance. I find that very stressful in my experience as a French teacher so another change that happened and that we were told about in autumn term is that usually when the children have a speaking they're given a picture it can be a photograph of people in a park on their bikes or people in a restaurant or people at a market stall uh, wearing summer outfits something like that and this year we were told oh The children are gonna be given two pictures instead of one. So it feels like there are changes implemented randomly and without really um, necessity behind it. Why going from one picture to two? Why adding dictation? Why wasn't it evaluated before? Is it really a good idea to add a new skill just in autumn? for the next spring or summer because usually we prepare our students from a few years before the exam. So this seems like a decision that has been taken, a decision that has been dropped on the teacher's desk without really thinking of the repercussions. And I'm going to get to my next um, point. It's the fact that the teaching French in the UK makes you feel like you're constantly under an exam board diktat. I feel like I'm always scrambling trying to catch up with what the exam board wants me to do with my students. There is definitely a lot of exam stress in UK schools. We are constantly thinking about what are the children going to do for their exams, what are their grades going to be, because teacher pay also is influenced by the grades that the students have, which I find quite perverse. I'm used to my French centralized system, where teacher pay depends on experience and um, assessment, the assessment of the teacher's quality of teaching. Whereas in the UK, if the students are not doing well at their exams, Apparently, it is definitely directly the teacher's fault, and their pay should reflect this. I sincerely disagree, because I do think that the results of the children depend on social, so, so, social economical factors, on poverty, on access to financial, social, and cultural capital. That is not the responsibility of the, the teachers. sadly. So, first, I denounce the fact that teachers pay should be linked to students' grades, then I do struggle under a lot of exam diktats to the point that I have to engineer my lessons so that they fit the exam tasks, to the point that I take away a lot of very motivational and interesting aspects of teaching. I have to reduce the amount of general knowledge or um, of history or of social and economical knowledge about france because i need to focus on exam strategy all subjects have to do that but i think languages are about building bridges and understanding other and if we end up not talking about the culture and drilling a typical activity based on grammar points we are basically killing the joy for the teacher and also the students. And I think it's a very, very dangerous thing to do, particularly if it's already not a very popular uh, subject. So in your French department, you're gonna have students and teachers who are suffering because of a lot of exam stress. You're gonna end up having teachers who are privileging learning by heart instead of working on skills and abilities. We are not gonna have enough time and resources to practice speaking with 30 students in a class. So if students want to achieve a, a very good grade from seven to nine, it means they have to pay for private tuition on the side, which increases inequalities. And then in my daily practice as a French teacher, I have to deal with lack of motivation from the students and a big, big lack of parent support. I'll give you an example. I was in the hall, it was a parents' evening for KS4 students, so it's year 10 and year 11 students, the ones who want to have the exams and the ones who should be really prepared and who should be pushing themselves to be able to get very good grades. So I was in that room and I saw many of my students walking past my table where they should have come and talked to me, and I should have given them advice and, and tips for their success. But they didn't come and stop. Because for them, French is not important. So instead, they went to talk to the English teacher, the math teacher, and the science teacher. The core subjects are seen as the only ones that are valuable. So I do feel like that motivation lack like, that is obvious amongst the students is reflected with the parents and the parents do not support languages because they don't see the point of their students or their children learning a language. And I find that really sad because learning a language is good for the brain, it's good for the morale and it's good for friendship and it's good politically. So the fact that parents don't want to even know what's going on in the French classroom is disappointing but i want to salute the parents who came and talked to me I, f- I really enjoy talking with them so what makes a french teacher's heart tick in a french department well i'm going to say it's a very personal vision of it but i think it's shared by many french teachers we love sharing knowledge about our culture about our language and about french people in general we love sharing anecdotes about civilization um, history we love preparing cultural lessons. We love our students to discover French ways, to discover about French food. We love bringing authentic materials. We love making them listen to French music video clips, learning French song, cooking. We love taking our students on museum visits. This is what makes a French teacher happy. We like also when the students are surprised, enthusiastic, ask questions. want to know funny anecdotes about living in France, are curious and desire to visit the country. So this is what makes us happy and what makes a French lesson fun. But what makes the morale go down for French teachers? As I said, well, Brexit in 2016 made us really, really, really sad. Xenophobia and biased, prejudiced views on French culture make us really sad. Exam pressure, puts a lot on our shoulders, but also we are given sometimes meaningless tasks by senior leadership management that really do not help students to learn French and are taking a lot of time. And this is draining for the French teacher in the French department. Parental disengagement as well. And on the the student side, the fact that homework is not done or done carelessly, the fact that the subject is seen as a waste of the, of the student's time, and the fact that grammar is seen as just an obstacle and not something to wonder about and to discover and to just look at. That lack of curiosity is what makes the French teacher have a difficult time. So, what is my method when I face this adversity? Well, I work in an inner-city London school with children who are not always interested in learning, who are not always keen on discovering other things. So what do I do to make my French lessons as best as they can be? Well, in order to support that incremental aspect of French learning, I do work on repetition and drilling a lot. And to make this palatable, I use a very reassuring lesson format. I have many students with special needs and they benefit from a tested lesson format that is repeated over the year where they feel like they know what to expect. So, my lessons always start with a do now or a starter, whatever you call it, une entrée in French, with a little task that's easy to do, that is engaging, and that makes them retrieve some things we've done before. Then we do a bit of handwriting with keywords. We have a grammar point because a language is a system and we can only understand it if we understand its grammar. We do the skills, reading, listening, writing. We practice speaking. We use classroom French. We eat, we ask each other questions in French. If they need something, if they need a glue stick, if they need a new book, if they need help, they need to ask me in French. And we've repeated these questions together. I try to use exam strategies from very early on. With my year nine, we practice picture description and we practice translation because I know two years down the line, they will have to do that for their GCSE. But in order to make these lessons fun, I use singing. Singing, learning songs and lyrics is an important way of learning vocabulary. We all did it when we were little. When we learned our mother tongue, we used nursery rhymes. Same thing in French. We use nursery rhymes. In order to support my students and make sure they're progressing, I check their books at every lesson and I mark their homework, religiously. And I keep track of who doesn't do their homework and I send emails to their parents telling them, your child hasn't done their homework. A child who doesn't do their homework is a child who is not going to progress. Because incremental learning means you need to practice every day. You need to retrieve, you need to repeat again and again until it's written in stone in your mind it's an image the stone isn't it so unless it's done the your child can't learn so i need to know who's doing the work i constantly check books are presented properly because i want my students to have pride in their work you wouldn't go and buy a bakery or baked goods that look like they've been stepped on by the baker same thing with the books we need to take pride in our appearance and the appearance of our belongings and the appearance of our work. I have to be a hawk in my classroom. I call it having the piercing eyes. I'm always scanning the room, making sure everything is done properly, making sure no one's being violent, making sure no one's littering, making sure no one is doing something they shouldn't do. And because my students know I'm the hawk and I'm always on the lookout, they tend to follow and have a better behavior. I'm trying to be consistent in my French lessons, and I'm trying to spend more time on behavior management. Sadly, sometimes, and I think the parents would be shocked to know that we spend most of the lesson on behavior management. This is because of the student population we have, but also on many factors, such as poverty, lack of nutritious food, uh, lack of parental engagement, and also some uh, students who suffer from emotional and social trauma. I'm being honest, it is a very difficult task for teachers' behavior management, but it is essential to establish a good lesson. I mentioned that I'm also teaching privately. My method with my private students is different because they're all high achievers and they're motivated. So with my Um, students who come for extra sessions, whether it is um, done on a voluntary basis because I do that with my students at my school, they come after school and they do a little bit of French with me, or whether it's my private students with whom I teach online, I always provide them with extra exam papers, I give them tailored feedback on what they're doing well and what they're not doing well and why they're not doing well. I practice a lot the exams so that they are confident they know what to do and I give them tips on how to deal with panic, anxiety and a blank mind because that happens. Sometimes your mind just switches it off and you need to have a few tools to get out of your toolbox in order to overcome that uh, mind freeze. And with my high achieving students. I give them difficult sentences and idioms to remember in order to show off their skills. I'll give you an example of a sentence I give them for their GCSEs. It's a sentence that has two subjunctive tenses. Afin que je réussisse, il faut que je fasse mes devoirs. In order to succeed, I have to do my homework. And that's quite a motto in my practice. So as we have seen, French is losing ground. French is seen as elitist, difficult, harshly marked, a language for the privileged, a language for the middle classes who can afford to go on school trips to France or who have a house in France. And yet, I am hopeful that I can promote French by using food culture, by using history, by using social and general knowledge. I'm hopeful that I'm going to motivate my students by showing them that if you're self-disciplined, if you're self-motivated, if you're a hard-working person, you can find pleasure in learning. So I'm hoping that this exploration of the difficulty of learning French and teaching it has given you some idea of what we face in the classrooms in the UK at the moment and that if you're a parent, you feel more equipped to understand what your child is facing in a French classroom. Remember, the Internet is a wonderful tool. The Internet goes in the teacher toolbox as one of the best tools to overcome the difficulty of learning a language and promote this building of bridges between nations. I'm going to leave you with the news. I hope you found this interesting and helpful and I wish you a lovely week, dear listeners.
2: Thank you. This show is brought to you in partnership with JohnCat Educational, a leading publisher of books, directories, educational guides, and magazines, specifically aimed at forward-thinking schools in the UK and beyond. Have you checked out their latest releases? Don't miss out. Visit johncatbookshop.com to explore their full range of titles and advance your own professional development today. Happy reading.
0: This is Teachers Talk Radio. And this is Teachers Talk Radio News.
3: The Christian Institute website carries a story on the reminder by Minister of State for Schools, Nick Gibb, that schools in England have a duty to remain politically impartial in their teaching and extracurricular activities. The guidance was published last year, but Mr Gibb was responding to MP Miriam Kate's references to a YouGov poll, which appears to reveal that the majority of UK children are being taught political ideology as fact, and he issued the reminder. Miss Cates was referencing a view that children are being taught that they can be born in the wrong body, as well as resources being used in schools, which focus on the topic of gender identity. The DfE guidance comes as Scotland attempts to introduce new legislation on gender recognition, which is opposed by Westminster. The guidance states that schools should not under any circumstances work with or use materials produced by external agencies that take extreme political positions. The Varsity website reports on findings by a right-wing think tank that elite universities were more likely to use progressive terminology on their websites. Cambridge tops the table in the Radical Progressive University Guide, although the think tank Civitas does not appear to see this as a positive. Varsity highlights comments reported in the Daily Mail, which warned that half of our universities peddle their woke agenda to students. The think tank generated the findings after exploring university websites and news reports looking for a series of key phrases, including trigger warning, white privilege and anti-racism. Those with high incidences of key phrases were at the top of the table. Varsity acknowledges a view that Cambridge's political culture is to the left of the national one, but also highlights key figures in academia who feature prominently in the conservative press. It's hard to stay away from politics as announcements of strikes continued late last week. The TES reports on the continued deadlock in Scotland, whilst the Evening Standard covers talks between ministers and unions in England after the NEU confirmed strike dates for the coming weeks and months. These strikes are set to impact schools in England and Wales, although the BBC further reports on talks in Wales. Its news website reports that teachers and school leaders have been offered a one-off payment by the Welsh Government similar to that offered to health workers although unions have already said that the offer is not enough. Scottish media outlets have also carried a story about what it describes as fears about violence in schools. A clip now widely shared on social media shows an altercation between two students and that took place on the same day a male pupil was left unconscious following an assault. Whilst Police Scotland have said it's investigating both incidents to spark debate on the state of behaviour in schools, particularly as such incidents have featured in headlines before. The Scottish Government has previously stated they are investing an additional £15 million this year to enhance capacity to effectively meet the needs of young people, and that they were very clear that violence is unacceptable. In further political news, the petition put forward by three men known as the Three Dads Walking will go to Parliament. The men who all lost daughters to suicide want to get suicide prevention on the school curriculum. The petition they set up now has more than 155,000 signatures, which means that it will be discussed in Parliament after previously failing to be heard. Finally, more than 20,000 defibrillators will be sent to almost 18,000 state funded schools by the end of the academic year. It comes after the government committed to ensuring there was a device in every school last year. The rollout comes after campaigning from the Oliver King Foundation and its founder Mark King, whose son died at 12 from a cardiac arrest while swimming at school. Guidance to support schools has been created, including awareness videos. And Education Secretary Gillian Keegan praised the work of the Oliver King Foundation and described the rollout as a huge milestone. Mr King stated, defibrillators save lives and that he hoped that families do not have to suffer the heartbreak of unnecessarily losing a child. This is for our Ollie. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox.
0: This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio.
4: Hello. A while ago I asked you, what is your go-to piece of tech? This week, I had the pleasure of talking to Ian Kenyon, CEO of Wirral Respite and Alternative Provision, also known as RAP for short. So, Ian, what is your go-to piece of tech in your setting?
5: Thanks, Steve. In our organization, we are absolutely embedded in sharing our information and our data via the cloud. And there's loads of software out there to do it, and there's a lot of bespoke software for our type of organisation, student information management services, uh, the likes of SIMS or ARBA or or things like that. But unfortunately, they're all built around big organisations, big schools, uh, schools with up to 1,200 students. Certainly not for schools that have a turnaround of students uh, who are completing courses in 12 weeks and those students who are potentially returning but require new files. We've tried proprietary software, it's very, very expensive. But actually what we've fallen back to is what google provides Uh, using g suite which is now google workplace we have access to spreadsheets to um, form filling uh, software for for data collection Uh, google docs which is you're very familiar with everything by traditional microsoft being able to link docs uh, and sheets and forms together has been almost transformational for our organization it's not the cheapest Uh, i will say the user matches uh, what other software like Zoho or or Microsoft will do um, but offers a simpler version for us um, and offers us some interactivity that we've never had before it handles our email it handles our our student information so gathering attendance it handles our finance uh, so invoicing Um, the, the the way that the suite works the way that the package works just works really well for us but with very little additional investment in time effort and training um google offers us everything that we need the final sort of element that, that has been transformational for us is then being able to use proprietary hardware such as chromebooks or even android phones and the ability for us to then transfer our data in, and to to be live in the cloud at all times has been uh, a really good thing for our organization so there you have it my number one go to it's definitely got to be google workplace
4: thank you ian As always, I'd love to hear what you want to know about tech. Do you have a go-to piece of tech? Let us know at TT Radio Official. I'm Steve Woods, and that was 2 Minute Tech. 2
0: Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org.